Welcome back to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. In this episode, we're continuing a recent session from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia, titled TB and HIV, a deadly duo. Concluding the panel of speakers is Dr. Thomas Frieden, director of the CDC. Thank you very much, everybody. One of the greatest things about this job is I get to learn all the time, and in preparing for this session, I've gotten to revisit the world of tuberculosis control, which was my world for about 10 years, and I've learned a great deal from my fellow presenters, so I thank them very much for the hard work in preparing. I'd like to bring some of this together as we conclude with the theme that fundamentals are fundamental. We first have to ask, what is the essential thing that we are trying to do? And uh, Gertrude Stein, when she was being rolled into an operating room and concerned that she may not survive, asked her partner, what is the answer? And receiving no reply, she asked, well, then, what is the question? So the question here is, first, how can we save the most lives? Or is it, how can we prevent multidrug-resistant tuberculosis? Or is it, how can we reduce TB incidence? And for each of these things, there are different approaches and different information. In terms of saving lives, we have the great fortune of living in an era where we have very effective treatment for tuberculosis. And, you know, William Farr said in the 1800s that the death rate is a fact. Everything else is an inference. Deaths can be reduced dramatically. And over the past 15 years, more than 6 million deaths have been prevented through the widespread implementation of the DOT strategy. I'll give you an example from New York City. The TB death rate declined dramatically during most of the 20th century. It then increased sharply with the HIV epidemic and low rates of TB diagnosis and cure, but then was able to be rapidly brought under control with effective diagnosis, treatment, treatment observation, and infection control. TB control efforts are saving lives, but we can save even more lives. Prompt diagnosis of both TB and HIV is critically important. People who know they're HIV positive can take the isoniazid preventive therapy that you heard about, and people with tuberculosis, if not promptly treated, can progress to severe illness and death. In fact, now that we're improving the ability of countries to screen TB patients for HIV, the diagnosis of TB can be an entry point into HIV care. More ideally, we would be able to have screening of HIV in the population more broadly so that we could prevent HIV in a larger number of people. Reducing the spread of tuberculosis is particularly important, especially in healthcare facilities where there can be an amplification effect, as we see with measles and other conditions. Isonized preventive treatment, perhaps this should be the new cotrimoxazole. Perhaps just as an HIV-positive patient in Africa should take cotrimoxazole for life, they should also take a combined or instead take a combined cotrimoxazole isoniazid tablet if they are tuberculin skin test positive. And preventing both TB and HIV will be greatly enhanced the earlier HIV is treated in the course of illness. 
Improving treatment can also save lives. ART treatment for HIV-positive individuals with TB, adjunctive treatment for people with severe forms of tuberculosis, and perhaps most of all, improved case management of all patients, including direct observation of every person with tuberculosis disease. Even with state-of-the-art drugs, short-course chemotherapy, patients who were HIV-positive had a more than two-fold increase, nearly a three-fold increase in the risk of death if they did not receive direct observation. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, and unfortunately those of us who have worked in the tuberculosis control field are concerned that the interest in tuberculosis tends to wane as soon as the headlines are no longer present. The next issue to address is preventing multidrug-resistant TB. And though we haven't discussed MDR-TB in this session, it's critically important because if MDR-TB spreads and becomes more dominant in the community, then control becomes exponentially more difficult. A single patient can infect many others, and clustering is our way of determining this. The molecular epidemiology of tuberculosis suggests what proportion of patients have disease from recent transmission. In a study done in New York City over a one-month period, which would greatly underestimate the proportion of patients who have recent infection, about 30% of all patients had clustered infections, and more than half of those with multidrug-resistant TB had clustering or likely recent transmission, and 41% of those with HIV. Recent studies from around the world suggest that as many as 60 to 80% of HIV-positive TB patients may have obtained their infections and therefore progressed the disease from recent infection. This is both a condemnation of our control programs and a message of hope, because if we can control disease rapidly and treat disease effectively, we can bring the incidence rate down. Preventing MDR-TB is extremely important for ethical reasons because treatment can save lives, but if we treat in an environment where treatment of MDR-TB detracts from the attention to patients with drug-susceptible TB, models show that this may result in a net increase in the number of patients who die from tuberculosis. It's critical for a public health reason, particularly in areas where HIV is common where crowding is common because it can spread very rapidly and cause large outbreaks. Testing for drug resistance can reduce treatment costs and improve outcomes, and stopping spread in congregate facilities is important. The essential concept here is that no program can treat MDR-TB as rapidly as a poorly designed program can create MDR-TB. So the priority also always has to be to improve the performance of the program in the fundamentals. Now, reducing incidence is the most challenging area. Global TB incidence has barely decreased over the past several years, even though deaths from TB have decreased by about a quarter globally. In New York City, a substantial decrease in TB was seen as more patients were treated with direct observation. Direct observation is just one component of the DOTS strategy but it is essential. It is essential because it builds a human bond between the patient and an outreach worker. It is essential because it is the only way to ensure cure and the only way to ensure the prevention of drug resistance. In India, a rigorous analysis 
in an area that has been under continuous surveillance for tuberculosis, a population of about half a million, showed that before using the current short-course therapy drugs, and it's only TB experts, by the way, who describe six months of treatment as short-course. <laughs> but before these modern drugs were used, there was a very gradual decline of one or two percent in tuberculosis. And then in the current era, when we were able to implement not only short-course treatment, well, in the middle era, you saw short-course treatment used. So the right drugs, but without the DOT strategy. They were similarly only about a 1% to 4% decline in tuberculosis prevalence. However, in the last phase during the DOTS period, during an adequately implemented DOTS program, there was a 12% decline in both smear-positive and culture-positive tuberculosis and a 6% annual decline in the annual risk of becoming infected with tuberculosis. So DOTS was shown in this population which did not have a high rate of HIV to be able to dramatically accelerate the decrease in both prevalence and the risk of infection. However, we are not in India or in other places of the world seeing a dramatic decline in incidence. In fact, the estimated TB incidence has remained unchanged despite increasing case detection and cure rates over the past few years. Why is this? Why is TB falling only gradually? Is it because DOTS is not being implemented well? Bad DOTS? Is it because of reactivation of disease or infection that was transmitted decades earlier? Or is it because of the social conditions that TB arises from? And really the answer is not which of these, but what proportion of each applies in any one community? Well, is it bad DOTS? This would be like rain continuing to fall in the memorable analogy that Shirley Farabee of the Public Health Service stated earlier. This may well be the case. We're not finding cases promptly enough. We're not finding enough of them. Or once we diagnose patients, we're not putting them on treatment. And all over the world, there's a gap between the number of patients diagnosed and started on treatment that's insufficiently addressed. Perhaps we're not adequately ensuring treatment completion or perhaps we're not stopping the spread of infection, especially in healthcare facilities as well as in the community. And the implication of this is the need to improve diagnosis, treatment, and infection control. Or is it reactivation? Waves crashing on the beach in the memorable analogy of Randy Schultz from the book The Band Played On from a boat that passed and is now out of sight. This would be a challenge because the number of people with TB infection is very large. And so preventing these cases from arising would be very difficult. In Hong Kong, as well as parts of Europe, this is now the dominant form of tuberculosis. The implication here is to try to identify ways to give preventive treatment to these individuals, to find new ways to identify and treat those most at risk of reactivating, and to persist, to recognize that results may not be immediate. Or is the persistence of TB a reflection of social patterns? The social determinants of health are well described in tuberculosis. About a quarter of tuberculosis can be attributed to uh, undernutrition, indoor air pollution, about a sixth to smoking, as well as 11% to HIV, 10% to alcohol. Addressing this will require long-term sustainable change. DOTS is the foundation of effective TB treatment. It has been effective 
at improving diagnosis, treatment, and adherence. There are powerful information systems which allow us to do observational research, and it is, I think, a great model for other disease control programs. To further strengthen DOTS, we need to optimize diagnosis with new tools, such as LED microscopy, which can be done and increase that 30% to probably 40 or 50 or more, to improve case management through rapid testing for drug resistance, as well as patient-centered treatment observation, to ensure the regular supply of high-quality drugs, something that's so basic and yet remains out of reach for patients with TB around the world, and to reinforce patient monitoring and supervision, which is essential to success. Early diagnosis is essential. TB control programs, however, have been less effective than expected in reducing transmission because patients are not diagnosed and cured quickly enough. The priority now is not to abandon the basic principles of chemotherapy, but to implement them with greater vigor, per Chris Dye of WHO. There are important challenges in the future. HIV continues to drive the TB epidemic in Africa. Strengthening diagnosis and treatment of TB and HIV is both possible and necessary. Effective case management is essential, and infection control is underappreciated. A focus on the basics plus new strategies and tools can lead to significant further progress in tuberculosis control. There's been tremendous progress over the past decades, saving six million lives and nearly a million lives this year alone. Better application of existing tools can further decrease deaths and, to some extent, further decrease incidence. Persistence, patient-centeredness, and zealous adherence to technical rigor and program excellence are all essential, but the current tools and strategies are insufficient to eliminate tuberculosis. New approaches will be needed to control TB in Africa and globally in order to reduce TB dramatically. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Dr. Frieden. That completes our talks for this session. We'll now move on to the question and answer period, and we will take two questions. We just ask that you please try to keep them concise because of limited time, and also please identify yourselves. You can proceed to one of the two microphones which you see standing up here in the auditorium. Kevin DeCock, Global Health. I guess my, my question is to Taraz about antiretrovirals, but we really don't have the data, I don't think, on what really would happen to TB incidence if we start antiretroviral therapy really early. Thank you for the question, Kevin. We do need to do the studies. There have been results from the Haiti study by Severa et al. that showed the results of starting antiretroviral therapy earlier, and also a sub-analysis done from a South African study as well by Fox and others last year. They give us some good preliminary ideas, and I think a key thing that came through for me was that by starting ART earlier, you're certainly going to cut down on mortality. You also cut down on TB. However, the gap between TB and mortality becomes more visible when you start ART earlier. That is, the TB still stays high, because as you know, in just the first year of acquiring HIV infection, the risk of TB doubles. We're fortunate that we can drastically reduce the death rate from TB and drastically reduce the infections from TB. The data from the TB Research Center in Chennai is very encouraging that we can bring down the infection rate. But 
clearly we need to do better. And I think we have to define the populations that we're working in. In TB epidemics, which are arising primarily in HIV-negative populations, we need to do better in terms of more prompt diagnosis and a higher rate of diagnosis. Seventy percent as the target for case detection was selected because in 10 years, if you achieve those targets, you'll cut TB in half in an HIV-negative population. But 70 percent leaves a third of people undiagnosed and on a subnational level is very problematic as a target. And this is why I think WHO has gotten away from it, because you really want people to diagnose as many patients as possible. And the insufficient diagnosis is probably quite important. Poor quality treatment observation and poor quality supervision is, I think, allowing the continued spread in many parts of the world. Where there is a high rate of HIV in the population, it's going to be particularly important to try to scale up isoniazid preventive treatment and to see if we can get 20 to 40 percent declines in incidence through that. They may be self-replicating, really, because if you prevent one case, you're also preventing others, since the R0 is more than zero and more than one in many of these populations, and second, to do better with infection control. But in terms of better tools, there's a lot that we would need. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a fingerstick point-of-care test for TB infection so we didn't have to deal with a tuberculin skin test? I think some of the existing tools can be retrofitted to great effect using fluorescence LED microscopy, for example, is something that could double the accuracy of smear and keep costs about constant over the medium term. But ultimately, what we would most like to see, of course, is a vaccine. Okay, last question, Dr. Nelson. Uh, yeah, Lisa Nelson from CDC in Mozambique. Uh, thanks to all for excellent presentations. And I guess one of the things we've learned in recent years from the HIV epidemic is that by focusing on a generalized epidemic, we fail to acknowledge that there are high-risk populations within that epidemic. And I'm wondering about thoughts about how we target our interventions to persons most at risk. I'm thinking TB cases are clustered in households and other settings. Special populations such as children or women of reproductive age, persons who are malnourished. If we could think a little bit about, within the context of broader TB control, how we reach special populations. I can try to answer. I don't know if Mario is able to answer as well, but just, I think this is a really, I think, gets to an extension of Dr. Frieden's point about the original WHO case detection target was set many years ago at 70%. But in fact, we know that as second only to HIV, the number one risk factor for going from infection to disease is recent infection. So I think we've been uh, somewhat remiss globally in terms of our ineffectiveness at, at doing contact tracing. We don't really know the exact yield of this in terms of, of a global, of an impact, either at a, a large HIV uninfected population or an HIV infected one, but it's clear that preventing TB infection in children would be highly effective and also preventing long-term development of, of TB disease, as well as looking in congregate settings where there's clearly going to be a lot of clustering uh, that includes not just hospitals, but also prisons or, or other settings. And with that, we conclude our session. Thank you all for coming. And I'd like another round of applause. Thank you. You have been listening to Public Health Grand Rounds from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, presented on ReachMD's series, Grand Rounds Nation. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of the nation's best Grand Rounds. Until then, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and thanks for listening.